Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace, Father God. Just go before us in all that you do. And bless this church and bless the folks that are here this morning. We ask this now in your son's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Sam is celebrating the marriage of his son, Daniel. So that's where he is this morning. He and Corinne, I pray that it's going well for them. That's right, AJ, it's going to be a good one. So during that time, he asked me if I would speak to him. He asked me to do the announcement. Of course, I have no problem in doing the announcement. Then he asked what I share. I said, what? Kate, you know, Shannon, did you want, you could take Shannon for half a day, I don't care, you and Corinne. But he said, in talking to the group again today, and we did. Now, when I was here on November 28th, I talked about Psalms 1, the two paths, the two persons, and the two destinies. Today we're going to continue down that path. And I just want to read you a little something to set the tone of what we're going to be talking about. The Native Americans of Michigan were the state's first highway route engineers. With few exceptions, Michigan's major highways follow the trails that cut through the wilderness through hundreds of years before any settler ever got there. Those trails were 12 to 18 inches. Later came the wagons, and the trails became dirt roads. Pack horses came through the trails, widening them. Later, men came through with complete wagon trains until they came highways. I think what Sam is doing when we talk about relationships is making us get beyond that myopic view of what we think a relationship is and widening that highway to take us down that superhighway to Christ. So what he asked me to do today was to share and continue with this theme of relationships. What is a relationship? We've talked about them. He's talked about it three times. And what are the pillars of relationship? Now, I thought I knew what a relationship was until I actually started getting into the word and looking for it. Uh, so I'm going to set the tone with the following. I have a business that I do 40 to 50 presentations per year to administrators of school districts, presidents and chancellors of colleges and universities, and business graduates. Now, because of my family situation, I've never been able to get my wife to come to any of those. My boys have heard me a dozen times. But I finally had the opportunity one time to get my wife to come to one back in about 1990. So as I'm doing the presentation and things are going well, after I finish up, I get these accolades, I get the round of applause, the standing ovation, and I think I'm just doing great, and I get to you know, get invited back, and I'll be doing the last one, where I was last time in 1990, I'll be doing it for the 22nd year on June 8th. So I get back into the car, and she hasn't said anything. So I finally ask, how did I do? She said, good. I go, just good? I mean, how many great educational speakers do you know that exist in America? <laughs> like me! And then she gave me that look. And brothers, you know what that look is, right? You know you're about to get some wisdom either from your spouse. And she said to me, one less than you think. You might think you're that good, but you're not. Okay? One less than you think. 
And so it dawned on me as I was sitting back there last week when Sam said, think about what you want to share in about relationships. Sam aptly described me in 1990. Remember what he said last week? He aptly described what I was, a very narcissistic jerk. And so as I've gone through this journey of being married to the same person or being with the same person for 32 years, and now I still have the proclivity to be that narcissistic jerk, and I'm sure brothers and sisters, some of you could say the same thing. We're going to talk about what those pillars of a relationship are. And what does our Lord say? Look up and your redemption draws near. So those of you sitting in the back, if you look up, those are the pillars of your relationship. You see them all across the wall. Respect, kindness, fairness, tolerance. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The first one is respect. To show consideration or thoughtfulness in relationship to somebody or something. Now, I was taught respect was what? Earned. Respect's not given to you. It is earned. If you can't earn the respect, you don't get it. How many of you see these, some of these young guys on television like, they didn't give me my respect, and that's why I did such and such. That's not what respect is about. The scripture says in Matthew seven twelve, in everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. I had a very difficult time showing respect even to my, my own spouse. I mean, I was a bachelor for a long time. I had my own house. She made me sell it. I guess you can understand why, being a bachelor until you're almost 37 years old. Even giving her the common courtesy of introducing her when I was with colleagues. Because I didn't think about that. All I was thinking about was just me and the things that I'm concerned about and what's in it for me and how I'm, I'm going to make this happen. Even now, even sometimes, even in business dealings, I'm thinking about what do I get from it? How do I make this move forward for me? But that's not what relationship is. Relationship is a mutual component, and it is the connection between two or more people or groups and their involvement with one another, especially as it regards to the way they behave toward and feel about one another. Also in regards to respects, Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from the selfishness or empty conceit, empty conceit, but with the humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, Ted, but also for the interest of others. I'm 60-something years old, and I'm still learning that. And I'm sure a lot of you sitting here, I think in the same thing. Now, young people, especially the young, the young men, I have three of them. I know Mario has three. I know a lot of them. Sam has three. You have three. God bless you. <laughs> One's plenty, but three, handful. My brother Mario knows. They get their respect when they were young about who was going to be the toughest in the house when dad's gone. Of course, when dad's there, he's still the man. Correct? Am I, am I right, guys? Nod the head, all right. No. But when he's gone, whoever, it doesn't have to be whoever the oldest is, whoever happens to be the strongest or the most verbose and who can lay so-and-so out. 
And women are just as vicious and cruel too. Okay. All more. Thank you. Okay. I see you smiling, Vanessa. But when you think about it, respect and giving that respect and doing what the scriptures are telling us to do, not putting ourselves first, thinking of people more important than ourselves. And so I ask you the question, and there will be a question after each one of these. Do you give respect? Do you know what respect is? The next one, kindness. The practice of being or the tendency to be sympathetic and compassionate. An act that shows consideration and care. Kindness. The scripture says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. If I could tell you some of the stories about when I was a teenager, it's just no such thing as kindness. Growing up in South Central Los Angeles, if you were kind... Can you imagine what would happen if you were kind? And for those of you who have grown up in other areas of San Bernardino County or Los Angeles County, you could not show any weakness. No sense of kindness. Kindness might be what? I only popped you a couple of times instead of multiple times. Only took a nickel from you instead of a dime. And I was the stealthiest and most clever of all the kinds of no kindness people because I actually could say five or six sentences in a row without putting a preposition in the front or back. So that even made me more deadly and scarier because I could actually talk. But when we talk about kindness and what we're doing with each and every one of us, some of you have been married here 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years and in relationships to our own spouses have we shown kindness? Even shown kindness to our own children? I was a very structured, linear, disciplinarian type of father. I had a stepfather, and that's exactly how he ran his house, and that's exactly what I transferred over to my own home. You were up at 7. You did this at 7.30. You did this at 8. When you got home from school, 5, 5.30, 6, 6.30, when it came to 9.30, 9.30, bed, if you didn't go to bed, there were repercussions behind that. And I had no problem in administering those Repercussions. I only said it once, and if it didn't get implemented, tough on you. But my wife had to, over these 30-some-odd years, uh, break me down and remold me to be able to show kindness, because not everybody is the same. Julie teaches elementary school. I'm sure there must be 15 to 25 different learning styles just in her own classroom. And I was a former teacher also. 14 years. But when you go back to teaching in the 70s, it was my way or the highway. I didn't keep you. If you didn't do well, I sent you off to another division of the school, primarily the RSP class, and I didn't see you again for the next six years till you got out of there. So think about that. What does kindness mean to you and each and every one of us? It also says in Luke 6.35, love your enemies. How difficult that is. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, 
and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Proverbs eleven seventeen, A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. Now as I'm sitting here and I'm looking at these scriptures and being convicted over and over and over again, People have come and asked me to help them and assist them. And my answer was, well, where's your scope of work? You know, those of you who are engineers like Gil, they're not asking for a scope of work. What I really want to know, what are you going to do with the money I'm going to give you? What's it going to be used for? Why should I loan the money to you? Why should I help you? Why should I assist you? I guess I was so kind, I have started a business in 1974, which is a daycare. And I had my mother and brother working for me. You should have heard the past tense, right? Had. I was so kind, I fired my own mother and brother when they didn't come to work on time. Tell you what kind of employer I am. But was that the right thing to do? I never once explored with them why they didn't come on time. Didn't ask. Didn't even, my mind didn't care. And if I'd have dug a little deeper in this, in this, again, going back to what Sam was always talking about, having another conversation and trying to build that relationship. And of course, that separated my mother and I for six years. Because, you know, I was like, hey, you didn't do what I asked you to do? Gone. And it's taken even the remainder of these 20-some-odd years, and she is still alive, just trying to rebuild that relationship because I didn't show that one little ounce of kindness and trying to understand why she didn't come or why my brother didn't come. Well, I kind of knew why he came, and I don't want to tell you why. He was a knucklehead. But even trying to explore that and working with them and assisting them and helping them, building them up. So the question to you is, are you kind? Third one is empathy. The ability to identify with and understand somebody else's feelings or difficulty. Now, men, this is the real tough one for us. I have not, well, I shouldn't say that. I do have, a, well, I have to let my wife say that because if I say I have some, then she'll say, no, you don't. It is a, still working on being empathetic, okay? Understanding somebody's feelings or their difficulties. Now the word empathy does not appear in the Bible. But the scriptures do refer indirectly to the characteristic or quality of demonstrating empathy. So if you look at 1 Peter 3.8, that's 1 Peter 3.8. It says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, and be courteous. Now, as I'm still working on being empathetic and having three boys, which that's a, that's a joy for, for many men. You know, I've got three real boys. They do all things. They beat up each other. They get in trouble at school. I get called into the principal. You know, one of them's popping people, knocking teeth out, and he gets his teeth knocked out. So, you know, so I, and I have no empathy for it. Hey, God, hey too bad. 
the way it goes. I see my guests. But that all changed for me on December 15th, 1988, when I got my daughter. Please believe me. I was empathetic toward everybody and anybody, especially when you start going to these doctors and they tell you, you need to do this and you need to do that and you, this is not going to happen for you. That'll break down, and I was a very callous person, the most callous of individuals, as you start going through that particular journey. And also, if you read the Genesis prayer request, you cannot but feel the pain and the angst that our brothers and sisters are going through. If we were praying for little Malia the other day, for our sister, you know, Sister Hunsucker, some of the other things that are going on. That's what they're asking us to do. You know, don't give me anything, but pray for me. Feel my anguish, feel my pain, feel my stress. Lift me up. Help me. In Romans 12, 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And everybody sitting here where it's going to be very joyous and wonderful times and, you know, as you get a little bit older, brothers and sisters, you're going to have some times you're going to have to weep too. Some of us have already experienced some of that. And again, it's just the, I mean, it just dawned on me. Sometimes you've got to be popped as to what Sam is trying to do. He's, he's very stealth in what he does because he wants people to think it through themselves. He wants them to use those executive functioning skills and those cognitive skills that we all possess. He wants to build a true community. And how are you going to do that? Well, he can say he's going to ha make it happen. But what he does is doing it by these messages that he's delivering with himself, with Michael, with Danny's worship. And he wants us all to be intertwined and interwoven with all of us here that we're working with. From the adults to the junior high to the peewees to the termites in the other room. He wants us all to be that family. So my question to you, brothers and sisters, are you empathetic? Next one is conscious. A shared concern for moral values. What was that in 1970s? <laughs> I see you smiling, Dennis. Yes. Conscience. A shared concern for moral values. It says in Galatians 2.14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, and this Paul is talking, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as a Jew, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And in Hebrews 13, verse 18, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. Now, my boys were home. Every now and then, the street tear would come out. And I would tell them things, how to rectify things and how you should handle things at school. And this is what I think you ought to do. And yeah, so-and-so said that. Yeah, this is what I want. You go back. This is how I want you to lay this out. One, two, three, and four. And then my wife would hear me goes, what are you doing? Well, I'm telling them how to be able to deal with this situation. 
and then correct that individual without getting himself in difficulty. Okay? And if he does it the way I told him, because I just laid out a very strategic plan for him, he's never going to get caught in doing it. <laughs> and then, of course, she would lay out, open up her Bible very quietly, go back very stealthily and start reading. And then I'd be feeling all guilty and convicted. I'd have to go back into the book and scratch that. <laughs> Can't do that. Can't do that. Your conscience will not let me to do that. It's what you, you don't do anything. You don't do anything. You just turn the other cheek and they would look at me like, but you just, I know, I was wrong. And you don't know how many times I had to tell my sons, I was wrong. I had to say it multiple times to them. I'm sorry. Hey, can't do that. Hey, I gave you bad advice. No, that's not how you should handle that situation. This is not how you should do it. Because you want them to eventually mitigate some of the mistakes that you made. I know that I made. And so I had to change the whole philosophy of how I had discourse with them in rectifying situations at school, in person, with some of the young ladies they might have been dating at that specific time. Conscience is a very powerful piece. If you don't have any conscience, you're in trouble. My brother Dave Wells back there deals with gentlemen every single day who have no conscience. That's why they are where they are. And I've told my boys that. I'll tell you one of the stories I did with to my boys when they were giving my wife grief. I'd come home from a business trip. I'd travel for a week. And she just had her wits in. So the oldest was 13, the other was 12, and the other was 9. So I put them in her car. And the whole time I'm driving, I said, I'm taking, to you, taking you where boys end up at 18 that don't listen to their mother. That's all I said. I'm taking you to a place where boys end up that don't listen to their mother. So I drove to Los Angeles, and I dropped them off at 7th and Los Angeles Street. Now, those of you that know where that is, that's the Greyhound bus station in L.A. And I kicked them out, put them out the car, threw them out the car, and I drove off. But I drove around the block. And if you know where Roger Stewart suits is, I parked right there in Los Angeles and got out and left and I saw them. They were crying. I don't care. <laughs> and I walked up to them and I said, this is where you'll end up, right here at this bus station. They were smelling smells, seeing sights, hearing words that you don't hear in Upland and Claremont and Laverne and San Dimas. Okay. After about 20 minutes, and I walked them around, put them back in the car. I didn't hear a word one. They never told their mother, because the oldest was was smart, and he said, "I think Dad is crazy. I think he'll really do it." <laughs> and he knew it. Yeah, I would have done it. But I wanted to teach them: you can't torture people. <laughs> That goes for their mothers also. Thank you. Now, was that consciously a good objective lesson? I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> she shaked her head. I didn't tell her for it until about a year later. And then she just she started crying. But the point was made. I'm not saying that's how we handle all situations. But you want to train up your children in a manner, as well as ourselves, that we can have a moral viewpoint 
of what's right or wrong in this world. Because what we consider right, they consider wrong. What's wrong, they consider right. And you see the fight and the dichotomy every single solitary day. One of my clients is a company called Kaplan. And if you look at this to the last name, Stanley Kaplan, you understand, you could almost visualize the culture there. One of the things I, visual, I, I, I really appreciate about the Stanley Kaplan company is that they do a vetting process when they bring people on where they go through, I think, every database in the country. That goes for consultants, full-time, part-time people, everything. Because what they pride themselves on is their reputation. And their, com their comment is, we have one reputation and we're going to manage it. So they just retain the services of my youngest son. Now, Sam was here. He knows my youngest son is... That's right, AJ. It was, it was a joke. Yeah, but he's, he's very close to little Sam. He and little Sam are cut out of the same mold. So all the time he's going through the vetting process, he's thinking to myself, am I going to make it, Dad? I said, I don't know, son. That's up to the Lord. If he wants to hide what you did or what you didn't do, that's up to him. So he made it through the process. But what I really want him to understand when he got to be 20, he's 25 now, is that everything he did as a youngster has repercussions as you get older. And so you've got to really be paying attention to what you do. And you've got to think about those consequences, young men and young women, before you make those kinds of decisions. So my question is, do you have a conscience? The next one is self-control. Restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, or desires. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation, repeat that again, No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, and that you will be able to endure it. Now, I'm sure everybody in this room has lost, them, lost their self-control, or lost their control at some time or another. Somebody's made you angry. Somebody has said something wrong about you. Somebody did something about you. To me, this is the most difficult of them all is maintaining control. I was told one time by a guy that mentored me that information was power. But he says, self-control gives you supreme power. Now, it has nothing to do with scriptural. It has nothing to do with the Bible. But what he meant by telling me that is when you go into a meeting, if you can be under control, no matter how out of control the opposition is, eventually you win. Because you maintain all of your faculties. You bring everything to bear. But when we're talking about this for our relationship, now I'm not putting it on one gender or the other, but I think we as men stay under control a little bit more than our spouses do. Now, I'm not saying we didn't get you guys riled up to jack us up. Okay. I'm not saying that. You know, maybe we didn't cut the yard just right, or maybe we didn't, 
you know, go to the store and get the right mayonnaise and, or the right mustard. Or, you know, we got, you know, peach grain instead of green grain or whatever you guys send us off to do. Whatever what made you mad. You women know what I'm talking about. Okay. Brothers, too. I, I've been sent to the store before and, you know, I don't know how many different cucumbers there are. Or, don't, don't send me if you didn't want me to go. But when you're talking about self-control and how we organize ourselves, it just amazes me about law enforcement and how they have to stay under co almost complete control, dealing with the morons and imbeciles that they have to pull over every single solitary day. Or somebody like in Kevin's spot or what my son TJ, the, the stories he tells me, they can't be true, but I know they are. The people they have to work with that do things to their children and to themselves. and It's just amazing. They have to be under control constantly to be able to administer either justice or discipline or medication to those specific individuals. And so think about that even in our own relationships when we're dealing with each other. I used to tell my wife when I didn't respond, that was because I was being under control. And you know, I was listening to what she had to say. You know, she said, you're a lying ras rascal dascal. What you were really doing, you didn't want to talk, and that was your way of getting out of it. But really the control is how we work with each other and how we can have civilized interaction with anybody here at church, in our businesses, at our jobs, in relationships. And I've been married 30 years with the same person for 32 years, and I'm still trying to develop my relationship. And if any of you here and here are honest, it's the same thing. Boyfriend, girlfriend, father, son, mother, daughter. And if you have in-laws still, you know, you're still trying to deal with that relationships also with those folks. So just think about that, just the self-control that we have to be able to think about and administer in all that we do in that regard. So my question is, do you have self-control? Number six is tolerance. Sympathy or indulgence for beliefs and practices differing from or conflicting with one's own or interest in and concern for ideas, opinions, and practices. Second Timothy 4 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. All three of my boys grew up accepting the Lord. One, he's just in la-la land. He's just a no-man's land. The other two are so-called atheists. Now, you can imagine what that means for my wife and I as we have to have this, these conversations. And I told my wife what they do when they engage her. They try to engage her in a way where it's more adversarial. And she knows I don't say anything to them. They don't ever engage me because I just ask a few questions. Because they believe that they have a higher intellect. And why are we so weak? Because we have to depend on this Jesus Christ. 
I said, well, that's interesting. You guys, I had nobody made you go and accept the Lord when you went forward at West Covina or at Golden Springs. And if you are really the intellectual that you think you are, why don't you engage Pastor Sam in discourse? I know he's reached out to you. And then I'll ask questions of the people you do set under and you've learned from. Why haven't you gone back to them and then have this discourse? Why do you try to always engage your mother? Or why do you try to engage your other weak-minded, you know, friends who all come together in the same little bastion of being atheist? So you can imagine my tolerance level is not very high for that. But they are my sons and I love them to death. And so I have to learn to deal with them. I have to learn how to be under that self-control. Be is somewhat empathetic because this world is after them and some of them it has captured them and as I tell them what you really like doing is being in your sin that's what you really like that's, I, don't, you know, I don't come up with a lot of little scriptures just enough to whet their appetite and the intriguing piece all of them yeah, I, I'm, a very, I'm a very high on higher education but it seems like when each one of them went to school once they left my domain and they got under the teaching of a philosophy professor, all of a sudden their mind starts changing. And one in particular, the real brilliant one, he thinks he's brilliant. And he's so brilliant, he's still living at my house. <laughs> His comment to me was, I asked him a question, I said, so you, how was this professor? 26. Ah, 26. So this 26-year-old Ph.D. of, you know, 100% of everything in the world. It's, let me just throw out this number, 100%. How much do you think he knows? Just give me a ballpark figure. What do you think he knows of 100%? So he knew it was a trap question. Because I just put it right, I can't get my foot high enough, but it was right there. <laughs> so he says 6%. I said that that moron doesn't know 94% of nothing then, okay? So he doesn't know Jack Diddley. He sells 6% and you let him sway you from something that you've been taught and worked on and been prayed over for almost, what, 18 years? And you go to one school for one semester with a guy that's 26 years old, he ain't no older than you. But I was tolerant, Michael. But again... You're going to experience this. You're going to experience it with your family members. I have family members that like listening to Joel Osteen and other folks, Creflo Dollar. You know, because Creflo get to dancing and high-stepping and doing all this little stuff. And I have to tell my mother, does he ever say Jesus Christ? Does he ever teach the Word? Does he ever say anything about the Bible, the Scriptures? No but. I said, no, mom, there ain't no no buts. But I have to be tolerant. So you think about that with your own children, your family, people that you work with. And I'm sure, brothers, the people, some of the people we work with, you hear something about everything. <laughs> I mean, probably the women also. But you got guys that are trying to lead us down wrong paths. And you no, know, I don't want any part of that. I tell guys, hey, this place, is, I, I just can't go with the things I just will not do. They already know that. When I went to this one company, one of my references 
made a comment to the people at the, in New York that you need to know this guy's a born-again Christian and he's going to pray, so you might as well know that now. Just straight up told him that. Hey, great, do fine, for, he's a born-again Christian. He's going to tell you, and he, and he won't, you don't even have to ask him. He'll just tell you. So I, if I was told by what I call the stealth Christians inside of Kaplan, who I didn't know, and they said that when they heard this, the president brought it back and said, can we work with a person like this? Whatever that meant, like this. And a couple of them said, yes. We, yeah, we, we're going to work it. And so when I finally met who the stealth Christian was, and the interesting part, he was the CFO of the whole company of 31,000 people. But he's 36, and his comment was, Ted, I can't come out and say that because I'm so young, and, you're, and he used the term seasoned. I guess that meant old. But you're seasoned, and you, have, you can make those kind of comments. I go, Frank, you don't have to say it. You've got to live it. All right, so you can't be drinking beer with these guys when you go to these places. Okay? Yes, I am going to pray no matter what they think. I'm not... I'm just there for business purposes. I'm not there. I'm not married to them. I don't have to hang out with them. And you can do the exact same thing. And you know something? You're a very talented young man. And they always are talking about tolerance here at this particular company. They will be tolerant of you. There's no abhorrent behavior on your part. All you are is a believer in Jesus Christ. And since I've been there a year in that organization, there's 15 more of them that have popped out of nowhere that they come and introduce themselves to me. I thought, praise God for that. And just being done that. So my question to you is, are you tolerant? The seventh and last is fairness. Probably the most difficult for me. Marked by impartiality and honesty, free from self-interest, prejudice or favoritism. James 2, 1 and 5 says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings, in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, You stand there, or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Brothers and sisters, how many of us have done something similar to this? The folks we've seen on the street coming up, panhandling. I've always kept that one scripture in mind. I don't mind giving if it's for food. But the Lord always says, you don't know who might be an angel coming up talking to you. So I thought, well, yeah, you know, the Lord might be testing me. But I do ask questions. I do vet them. Now, I have no problem taking them in, getting them meals, but if it's just for a drink or narcotics, not going to happen. But even being fair with my own children, and let's be honest, we do play favorites. Okay? You got one or more children, you play favorites. Shannon is a spoiled little monster. <laughs> Can't help it. And she's not going to respond because she's not even listening to me anyway. But even with your, your children, you're going to play favorites with them, even in your own families. Yes, I believe in nepotism. Each one of my boys has worked for me in some capacity wherever I've been. 
Not all of them have been successful at it. But one of them went to a business meeting one time, didn't show up with a pencil or a paper. Client called me and goes, uh, don't send this kid anymore. He didn't, even, he didn't even show up with anything. So this, what, this wasn't the kind of business for him. So he's doing something much better now than he, what he's doing. But when you're talking about fairness and what that breaks down to, when you look at it as co lowest common denominator, or even fair with ourselves sometimes and how we treat ourselves. Our spouses, colleagues. And again, I bring up all seven of these because what we're trying to do, what Sam is doing, is trying to build a holistic view of what it takes to be part, take part in a relationship. It is not easy. Those of us that are married can say amen and hallelujah and thank you Jesus for that. We know it is not easy. But if you're going to be in this long-term sustainable relationship from beginning to end, and the end means when the Lord calls you home, we have to embed all seven of these pillars into that relationship. And that goes in for every single solitary thing that we do. And I'll be honest with you, brothers and sisters, we can't do it on our own. We know that. We've tried. I know I've tried, and I have failed miserably every single time. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes your belief in Jesus Christ as we go forward. I'd like to close with the following. And this close came not from me, but really from my daughter, because she owned she only, she only listens to worship music. I don't think, you know, she, uh, in the group she loves is Hillsong. I, mean, I took her to a Hillsong concert, and then after two and a half hours, I had to just pick her up and take her out because they were still playing. I just, I'd had enough. <laughs> but I took her to the downtown, to Los Angeles, the place down there by the forum, and they had a, I thought it would be maybe an hour and a half, no more than two hours. Two and a half hours, they were still playing. But she has one song from there that I think galvanizes everything we talked about today in building a relationship and the failures that we have. And it's from the song from the inside out. It says, a thousand times I failed, still your mercy remains. Should I stumble again, still I'm caught in your grace everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending. Your glory goes beyond all things. Your will above all else. My purpose remains. The art of losing myself and bringing you praise. Everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades. Never ending, your glory goes beyond all fame. And I can hear Danny singing this last piece. In my heart, in my soul, Lord, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out. Let justice and praise become my embrace to love you, Lord, from the inside out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now. 
we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. We know your word never comes back void, Father God. We pray that these seven pillars in regards to building a godly, wholesome relationship ministers to all of us in this room, O oh Lord. You are the author and finisher of our faith, Father God. And we thank you for the good Lord that you are. You never said it was going to be easy. All for going through issues. But with the relationships that we establish and that we develop, Father God, whether they were here yesterday, today, or tomorrow, you are in complete control. So we ask that you go before us now in all that we do. And we thank you in the name of the name that's above all names, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.